Welcome to a new edition of the brand called You. Today I'm so delighted to have an incredible young lady, Ria Sharma, on our show. Ria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be Thank here. Thank you. Ria is uh, from the Leeds College of Art. She's the founder of an NGO called Make Love Not Scars. She was a recipient of the 30 under 30 recognition. She's a recipient of the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Goalkeepers Global Goals Award. And she's an author. Uh, of Make Love Not Scars. My God, what an incredible achievement so early in life. I mean, no, I mean, I'm humble. <laughs> Thank you. So, Nuria, in your third year at Leeds Art University, you founded Make Love Not Scars. Tell me about the moment that you became aware to yeah. take up this cause. I mean, you know, I'm going to be extremely honest yeah. with you. I come from an extremely sheltered background. And, you know, like you and me, you know, I did, I wasn't very aware of the realities on the ground. I mean, I knew that, you know, women in India were suffering and they were suppressed. But I never cared about it enough to do anything about it. So I think when the 2012 Nirbhaya gang rape happened, I was moved by it, you know, as was everyone else, rightfully so. But... I always regretted that I never went to one protest. I never did anything about it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think I was so self-centered at that point. I mean, I was studying fashion. I was in the UK. You know, I just wanted to go there to get some freedom. Mm -hmm. And I was really enjoying myself. Correct. And it was my third year. And I remember, um, you know, my professor came up to me and she said, you're going to fail. And in that moment, I was like, you know, I've really taken the past three years for granted. Mm -hmm. And for me, the objectives was always to have fun. So mm -hmm. that's exactly what mm -hmm. I did. Um, when she told me I was going to fail, she told me, you know, your work is very shallow. Why don't you find something that means something mm -hmm. to you? That's when I started kind of exploring women's rights in mm -hmm. India. And, but I was always scared because I was like, but it's not fashion. You know, it has nothing to do with fashion. Mm -hmm. And my professor, she was like, it doesn't matter. You find something that you like and we'll find a way to make it fashion. So... I remember this one day I was researching and, you know, I stumbled across a picture of an acid attack survivor on the internet. And it was just a picture. And, you know, it was a picture where the survivor, her face was extremely disfigured and burnt. But um, in one picture, she took her hand and she put it up against her face and her hand was completely normal. And for me, that sort of bizarre, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, I couldn't understand, to be honest, what had happened to mm -hmm. her. I thought someone had set her on fire or, you know, she had met with an accident. Okay. And that's when I discovered what an acid attack was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I found it impossible to understand that something as simple as throwing a glass of water on okay. someone could cause such lasting damage so quickly. Mm -hmm. So, and so permanent. So permanent, to be honest. You steal someone's identity, um, you know, their life is being put on hold for many, many years because they have to go through multiple stages of surgery. But apart from that, I just couldn't understand the act in itself. You know, I couldn't understand how it could be so simple. Absolutely. So I took the picture back to my professor and she gave me a video camera and she's like, you go back to India, shoot a documentary on the subject. At that point, I was like, you know, this is a bit much because mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I thought she would just be like, okay, great, do a project on it. But going back to India and my third year was like, you know, I had to call my dad and he's like, why do you want to come back? I want you to stay there only. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I have to shoot this documentary. It was a great sense of, you know, I felt like I'd found my purpose mm -hmm. and stuff. So I was 21 and I came back and I started shooting this documentary called Make Love Not Scars. Mm -hmm. 
and this one day um you know uh, with all the spontaneity that a 21 year old can have i was like you know um someone called me and said there's a new case in bangalore you know you want to go check it out and i took my video camera and i got onto that plane you know not a single thought and i remember like you know we were walking into the ward and the psychiatrist that was accompanying me she said mm-hmm. you know if at any point you want to walk out just let me know and i was like why would i want to walk out you know i think at that point my upbringing got up with me i didn't even recognize or register to be honest that a ward had more than one bed in it you know we so used to go into our maxes and our fortresses and unfortunately that's just the way it is um but when i went into the ward i you know I saw so many sort of bodies not just on beds there was mm-hmm. a shortage of beds you had about 30 beds and you had 60 bodies lying on the floor you know women with no faces um you know they didn't even have to wear clothes because they had no features left and i walked into the ward and this lady was um, sitting up on the on her bed um and she just looks at me and she starts smiling and she starts waving at me and she's not wearing anything and the only way that i could even tell that she is a woman mm-hmm. because she had one strand of long hair just oh. coming down oh. and nothing else mm-hmm. no resemblance of who she used to be or you know uh, what her story has been mm-hmm. and in that moment i kind of you know i was surrounded by misery like if you want to put it that way because i knew that everyone that had been put in there was put in there to die because wow. they were not going to come back out wow so in that moment um, i remember after this whole episode i was coming back to delhi mm-hmm. and um, you know i was like uh, either i could go back to leeds or i could stay but at that point i was like even if i stay what am i going to do mm-hmm. you know i'm 21 mm-hmm. no sort of previous history no experience in this field um but i decided to stay i was like i don't know what i'm going to do but um i'm going to figure this out so the next day we just don't make love not scars as a ngo and then it was just hit or miss you know i didn't mention this in the introduction that you yeah. do such incredible work with acid attack victims because i wanted you to say it. oh it's, it's it's amazing they're my amazing. they're my babies they're I like know. they love my life I like know. My dad always says he's like yeah you might just be like 28 and I was 21 when I started and he's like but you already have so many children mm-hmm. <laughs> like this like you know solid maternal instinct for them So you know Ria tell me you know first tell me what happens to uh, oh, first tell me what causes an attack to happen You know I think um, from my 6 years of experience what I have been able to gauge I mean you can never try and make sense of a senseless crime right but if i had to try and make sense of it i would honestly say it's because of the fact that you know we come from a male dominated um, country mm-hmm. and any sign of progression um that a woman tries to display is always met with consequences okay. you know and with an acid attack the same thing happens when a woman exercises her fundamental right mm-hmm. to say something as small as no i don't want to mm-hmm. be with you that is what causes an acid attack but on the whole i truly believe that we as a collective society are also to blame for an acid attack mm-hmm. in a certain way mm-hmm. because you know ever since women um you know when they children they're always told that 
um, you know, our society judges our women on the basis of how they look mm-hmm. opposed to what they can do. It's normally the men that are judged on, you know, what they can do. And the women are always told, Achha, you must look this way or no one will marry you. And hence, when an attacker attacks a woman with acid, he thinks he's actually destroying her life mm-hmm. because women are told you're nothing more than your right. looks. Right. So they lose their standing in society, they mm-hmm. lose their identity. And it's sad that an attacker thinks and believes that if I take away her face, she has nothing. And unfortunately, he succeeds because that is how we think. So, you know, it is the attacker that is to blame, of course. But I think we as a collective society, when we start changing that narrative, when we start, you know, telling our women, it's not about the way that you look. It's about what you can do. It's about your degree. It's about how much you study and what you can do in life. Then I believe that even an attacker will think twice, you know, even if I ruin her face, I won't ruin her life. And I think a lot of my survivors are actually proving that, you know, by example, where they're coming out, they're fighting their battles, they're becoming successful women. And, you know, it's kind of a big, um, you know, uh, retaliation mm-hmm. in the name or like a re- rebellion in yeah. the name of the attacker, where it's mm-hmm. just like, no, you thought you could ruin my life because you took away my face. But hey, I've got news for you, wow. you know. That's wonderful. So, yeah. And tell me, you know, uh, when you uh, get to hear of, a new case. Yeah. It's horrible to say a new case. We yeah. just hope it never happens, but yeah. it does. Or it's, yeah. uh, what steps do you take to help the victim? Right. And how do you rehabilitate? Right. So, you know, the thing is that every case is different. You have to look at it on a case-specific basis because when you talk about acid attacks, you know, the most common misconception is that you're only dealing with disfigurement. But the truth is that you're also dealing with disabilities. So, because a lot of them either end up losing their eyesight, a lot of them, you know, their tongues um, um, melt off, they can't speak, a lot of them can't hear. Yeah, so, you know, each case is very case-specific and it also depends because I end up getting new cases in and it, they could be at any point of their own specific journey. Mm-hmm. So if it's a completely fresh case, which let's say happened yesterday, then my first um, sort of point of action would be to make sure that she's getting adequate health care. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm talking about quality medical care. So because a lot of these survivors are put into government hospitals and unfortunately, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hats off to the people that work there, they work extremely hard. But, you know, the standard is just not up to the mark. So, you know, I will try and see how I can facilitate her treatment in a private hospital. Um, We'll try and procure those funds overnight. Um, Even though the Supreme Court of India has said that all acid attack survivors must be treated free of cost at government and private hospitals. But private hospitals rarely, I mean, you know, there are cases where I'll call up the hospital and say, I'm bringing over this case. And they'll be like, yeah, sure. And then when we take her and they're like, yeah, we have to admit her. And then when it comes to paying, I'll take out the Supreme Court order and then suddenly say we don't have beds. And you can't do that because the Supreme Court order cites that very clearly you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So now if it's a new case, that's what my first priority would be to make sure that, of course, she makes it through. Uh, What are the organs that we can save? Can we save her eyesight? Um, those would be kind of my initial steps with a fresh, fresh case. But if I meet a survivor whose attack happened a couple of years ago, I will concentrate more on psychological um, sort of rehabilitation. So make sure she goes to therapy, she needs to see a psychiatrist. 
um, you know, and then I, of course, focus on helping them get back on their feet, reintegrating them back into society. Mm-hmm. For that, we run a rehabilitation center in New Delhi. It's the first of its kind in the world. Um, and we actually house survivors and they're equipped with skill training and vocational training so that they can one day go ahead and be contributing members of society. Wow. We help them sort of set up small businesses. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, you know, survivors that have been attacked by their own husband we take those survivors' children, we put them in boarding schools so the survivor herself can concentrate on the recovery. Amazing. So when I was reading uh, before this interview about you and about what's happening, I was reading there's about a hundred odd acid attacks that come out and mm. people here. I don't know if there are more. So there's a reported thousand acid attacks a year in thousand India. Thousand attacks a year. Yeah, but also that's just the reported yeah. number. And the real number is always 5x. I mean, if you go to any hospital, any government mm. hospital, you know, a lot of women don't um, sort of report the crimes that are committed on them because mm. they fear social sure. stigma. Sure. Or normally there's an involvement of a family member. Mm-hmm. I have so many of my own survivors who haven't registered an FIR because they're scared it'll spoil sort of family mm-hmm. relationships. Mm-hmm. So the real number is always much higher. And, and at any given point, if you go to a hospital, there will be at least five unreported cases there, unfortunately. Wow. And they'll always say something like, you know, the girl will say, Oh, I was cleaning, mm-hmm. Even the police know she's not telling yeah. the truth, but you can't force her to file that FIR. But tell me, you know, I, I was also told that uh, sale of acid is completely banned. Right. How do people procure it? Right. I mean, you know, I think when you live in a country like India where it is hard to even implement uh, something as basic as a chalan on the street, right. um, you know, it all comes down to implementation. Mm-hmm. So in 2013, the Supreme Court of India did regulate the sale of acid. Mm-hmm. They um, basically told all the states to come up with proposals on how they were going to implement this ban Mm -hmm. and that meeting was supposed to take place after the order was passed but unfortunately that meeting itself never happened Mm -hmm. Um, so no there's no implementation of this and I just think you know in general there's not enough awareness Mm -hmm. and to be honest when I first started I was scared of spreading awareness because I always thought there was an extremely fine line between spreading awareness and putting an idea Mm -hmm. into someone's Mm -hmm. head and for me I didn't want to cross that line So, you know, Rhea, you mentioned that uh, while the attacker is to blame, society has to take a much greater responsibility. What do you think society can do to make this change? I mean, I think you could start as small as, you know, when if you're blessed with a girl child, treat her as though you would treat, um, you know, the boy in your house. And, you know, it's just small steps like that where we, you know, can empower women in our own homes. Mm. And for that, we need to change the mentality of the generation that is actually looking after them. You know, I feel honored to be a part of the generation that I am from because I can see that a lot of people are changing. And that gives me a lot of hope because I have seen that nowadays, you know, for example, I was talking to my house help and he had a son. Mm -hmm. And after that, you know, he was blessed with a baby girl Mm -hmm. and he was ecstatic, you know, and he was like, I'm going to make her study and I'm going to make her do this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just small things like that where we empower our women and we put them on the same um, sort of platform where we put men and give them the same opportunities. And it's something as small Mm -hmm. as that that can truly change, um, you know, the narrative around any crimes on women. Correct. And then how can society or government mm. work mm. to empower yeah. a lot of women yeah. to be able to at least 
reduce, if not completely prevent yeah. such attacks? You know, to be honest, I don't think as much as I believe that, you know, uh, the government needs to empower women and all of that. I think men need to be brought into this dialogue. Correct. You cannot have a successful feminist movement without the involvement of men. And that is something Absolutely. that I truly believe in. So as much as we talk about the empowerment of women, I think, you know, the reason that women are not being able to be empowered is because of the men around them. So I think it's important to, for the government or so any authorities to start the dialogue with the men first, help them understand why this is a good thing and why, you know, they should help liberate women. And I think only when we successfully bring men into this dialogue is when we can actually see some change. And so, my next question is that what does the law say? I mean, you know, uh, yeah. uh, we've got some very, very stringent laws yeah. for uh, any kind of sexual yeah. assault. Yeah. Uh, are the laws similar or worse for acid attack? See, I always say this about, you know, laws in India. We've got some of the best laws in the world. Okay. The only problem, of course, is the implementation, implementation. of those mm. laws. Mm. Similarly, with an acid attack, a judge can easily pronounce the death sentence. Mm. Judge can easily, you know, it's it, it's written in the law where it's a minimum of seven years, depending on, you know, how bad the attack is, going up to life imprisonment, mm. even the death sentence. Mm. So now we just need one courageous judge to pass a stringent mm. sort of punishment Correct. and I think everyone's been a little scared and apprehensive because it hasn't been done. Mm. I know that in Mumbai, a lower court, um, you know, a couple of years ago did award the death sentence but that's because the survivor had passed away due to the attack wow. so it was also murder. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think we need more judges to step up and you know, lead and set the standard because I think no one is awarding high punishments at the moment because Correct. they're scared that it hasn't been done before. Correct. So Correct. I think when Amazing. someone steps up. Amazing. Yeah. You know? So let me move to the next question. You know, you say that you have acquired the skills to make the world a better place. Mm. Help me understand this. I don't remember saying this. <laughs> I don't okay. okay, if I said this, yeah. honestly, I don't think I've acquired the skills okay. to make the so world, we pass on this world a better place. So, one more question on acid attacks before I move to a few personal yeah. questions. Um, without giving names and if it is not awkward, yeah, tell sure. me a few stories of how uh, some people have rehabilitated themselves. Right. So I think one of my favorite stories is of um, this survivor called Reshma. Okay. And she was one of the first cases that, you know, I ever worked on. Mm -hmm. And the reason that she was so close to me was because I was 21 at the time. She was 17 when she was attacked. I felt like we were quite close in age. We shared the same birthday. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she was a girl from Bombay who had been attacked in Lucknow because that was where her hometown was. So she had gone back to mm. give her exams mm. and she was wearing a burqa and she was with her sister uh, who was also wearing a burqa. And the sister's ex-husband who was extremely abusive mm. got hold of both of them, mistook, the, uh, mistook Reshma for the sister mm. and attacked her with acid. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine being 17 and having to deal with that. You know, she was, of course, extremely suicidal. She didn't think she was going to make it through. She couldn't understand what had happened to her. The first time she saw herself in the mirror, she tried to commit suicide. So, you know, for a 17-year-old to actually overcome her circumstances, okay. to me, was extremely inspiring. When she finally did decide to overcome this, and I remember we were at that point 
doing a campaign with Ogilvy and Mather. They had come on board and they said, we want to do a campaign called End Acid Sale. Who would you like to star in the campaign? And I picked Reshma because I felt like she could really use the ego boost. And to all of our surprise, to be honest, um, her videos went viral and we had a million hits overnight. And Reshma became the global face of this Mm -hmm. campaign, which was asking the government to implement the ban on the open sale of acid. Mm -hmm. So she kind of became this activist overnight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's been so sort of relentless in this pursuit of, you know, trying to get justice for the cause that now she's a household name. Um, she just wrote a book last year. Uh-huh. She worked New York Fashion Week. Um, she is constantly traveling to Amazing. lit fests and giving interviews. And, you know, for me to see this little girl who I have sort of see go through the worst, okay. where she thought the sun would never shine yeah. again, yeah. you know, for her to be doing all of this. Um, you know, it's kind of a full circle and Amazing. it's been such an honor to watch. Amazing. So tell me, you know, you mentioned a little while ago that oh, they're all your babies. Oh, yeah. I, I would say that, you know, they're also like your mentors. I mean, I'm sure you've For learned sure. a lot. So tell me, what have you learned from their experiences? You know, I, I don't know if I've learned from their specific experiences because I don't think one will ever be able to understand the pain that they go through. Okay. But what I have learned from them is A, obviously not to judge a book by its cover mm-hmm. and B, to, you know, I think this one survivor once told me, you know, let's make light of the situation. And we would laugh about, you know, acid attacks Mm -hmm. and stuff. And she told me, she's like, when you learn how to laugh in the face of your fears, they cease to exist. Mm -hmm. So um, they always taught me to sort of, you know, be a little lighthearted where my own problems are concerned. And of course, you know, when I go to office now, let's say I've had a fight with someone at home with a friend. And then I go to office, you know, I'll just be like, what am I doing? Like, my problems are nothing. Yeah. So I think they help put things into perspective for me every single day, mm-hmm. which helps me stay grounded where, you know, I can actually prioritize what mm-hmm. real problems are and what um, really can be sort of just bluff sometimes. Quite incredible. So, you know, tell me, you know, you, you were you're very, very young, but the kind of determination you have, what would be three words that define Ria? definitely say persistent because honestly where my goals are concerned like I will go to any lens um, I would say rebellious hospitals really don't like me mm-hmm. because I'm always fighting mm-hmm. for uh, the survivors and I would say passionate wonderful I just give you the most cliched words no no these ever. are great words these are great <laughs> words and you know I have the context in which You've been talking to me. Yeah. Our listeners will all have that context. So these <laughs> words are very valuable. But tell me one more question. You know, acid attacks, do they happen uh, in a lot of countries? Yes, of course. So, you know, even though I think Asia in general has a massive problem with acid attacks, mm-hmm. but only London itself reported 600 acid attacks last year. Incredible. 600 only in London. Incredible. So, you know, Again, you know, I want to come back to one thing where I said, you know, I was so scared Mm. back in the day because I was like, there's such a fine line between spreading awareness and putting an idea on someone's head. And unfortunately, at that point, you know, the demographics were way different. You know, I always had a survivor who was a Mm. woman. She was always aged between, let's say, 13 and 25. 
and you know I used to always think I'm like this is so easily obtainable easy you you can get acid easier than what it would take to procure a gun you know why aren't people using this as a weapon and I wish I'd never said those words because now the demographics are so different acids being used as a weapon it's the easiest weapon to buy you know now my youngest survivor is a 6 month old baby boy my oldest is a 65 year old woman in the middle we have men we have babies why would someone attack a baby so it basically they started using acid as a weapon so if there's a land dispute mm-hmm. or something like that you know kids are often caught in the crossfire oh my god um you know so for just any and every reason yeah. and i just hope what you said earlier i hope the courts start giving the death penalty for i i think attackers. it's important to set that precedent even though i am not personally for the death penalty mm. in any situation but um you know i think it is it's a big deterrent yes mm. i i just don't believe in the death penalty coming from a, you know a developing country mm. i feel like it leaves a lot of room open mm. to mm. you know for wrong decisions let's put it that I way so not I for it but i do hope that the courts wake up and set some sort of precedent hard 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 decisions are taken yes so one more question you know do acid attacks happen um on men as well yes of course that's um, more of the weapon yes so okay. we've seen the rate of acid attacks on men and children go up significantly over the past 3 years mm-hmm. and you know men sort of it's a straight up sort of um, acids being used as a weapon mm-hmm. so if you know two men in the village are fighting one of them will just instead of stabbing him to death mm-hmm. will just get a glass of acid and throw it on him oh. and that's it i mean there's no blood there's no strangulation there's none of that involved it's the easiest crime to commit best way to disfigure someone completely completely and in a lot of situations like people succumb to the injuries and they pass away and it's murder so yeah it's the easiest crime to commit and it's the most horrific because an acid attack i don't think people understand the amount of recovery that goes into an acid attack mm-hmm. i mean you know i've had survivors who have been attacked with acid and the acid would honestly penetrate through all the layers of their skin and you know 6 months in after an attack they would wake up and they'd be blind because mm-hmm. the acid ate through their eyelids mm-hmm. and it's just it's the most horrific crime you have to go through multiple stages of surgery when one layer of your skin falls off they have to graft skin from other parts of your body and it's just it's and i guess the psychological rehabilitation must be even more difficult of course i mean i think imagine you know you feel like the same person you know you feel like nothing's changed mm-hmm. your mind yeah. still the same your voice is still right. the same and then suddenly you wake up one day and you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't recognize right. yourself i mean that's bound to drive anyone insane mm-hmm. so dealing with you no know, you know sort of accepting that someone else's hate stole away your identity and getting used to an absolutely new person that's looking back at you in the mirror mm-hmm. i mean that's no easy yeah. and, and, and that's permanent it's permanent yeah. it's completely permanent i mean no amount of corrective surgery mm-hmm. will ever make them look um the way that they want to look it's that that in itself is a myth wow. and you know explaining that to them i think also is an extremely hard task where you have to of course help them understand the reality of the situation and you can't provide fake hope that's okay. something we don't believe in yeah. so you know breaking it to them that things are never going to be the mm-hmm. same i think is one of the most heartbreaking yeah. things i told us ria we've come to the end of the program i'm you know i've done 200 interviews but i must say uh in with, with 
true absolute honesty mm. that you know you have your this my chat with you has had the biggest impact on oh, me so far thank you so much and if there's any way i can help support your cause please feel free to reach out Thank I you. wish you lots of success for this absolutely noble work that you're doing. Thank God you, bless you so much, and thank you for having me. I feel thank like you. we've had a great chat. We have. Thank yeah. you very much. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter. Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for the brand called you. Thank you and see you next week.